9 o'clock. Jim and the Buckeye Boy today from the Bozarth Miller Chevrolet Buick Studios. The most trusted name in automobiles. It's Monday, the good, the bad, the ugly. Some of the good. Fertile Monument Boys, 20 and 0. That's impressive. Do they finish the regular season undefeated? We have Montrose tomorrow night to go there. Mm-hmm. That will that will not be easy. We got a return match with Sent. Coming and, up in a week and a half, I think. Got Durango also uh, on the schedule, but here not. They already won at Durango, so so you got yeah Montrose, Montrose Central Durango. Your final three games. The one, the, and they got to go to. They have to play at Central. Yeah. I, my natural reaction for these things is to err on the side of probably not, but I can't. I don't really know. Like they, they were on the doorstep of being got for a time in that game against Central, but by the time the midway through the fourth quarter came around, it was it's pretty decided that they were going to win that game. It feels like they they probably will, but Montrose with Brecken Hutto's been playing really mm-hmm. well lately. Caleb Ferguson, you got to go there. You know, Ryan Voringer's team will be ready yeah. to go on the defensive end. And the last time that they played at Fruta, you know, that was it was a forty nine to thirty four game that Wildcats just kind of pulled away in the second half in that one. Yeah, it's like the Central game. Like, you take a look at the box score, and you're like, oh, wow, that's pretty. But it was much closer to that for a lot of the game. So you feel like with with two road games here, be it just a trip across the valley and and not a very long trip down to Montrose, but still, you got to go there. You got to play in their place. Mm -hmm. And they're going to win the league. That's that's a, a foregone conclusion. Man, I don't know. Because I don't want to discount what, what Montrose could do at home or what's, what John Sedanich and his guys could do out at their place coming Central's up on the 13th. Yeah. Central's real scrappy, too. Yeah. If they stay out of foul trouble. They're real scrappy. Yeah. I'd say m- most likely they'll they'll finish undefeated, but a couple of really, really tough games coming up with Montrose tomorrow night and then Central on the 13th. Super big cop out. I wouldn't put it past him. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I think we're, we're, we're both in the same, yep. looking at it that way the same way. Uh, so we have a qualifier for our Buffalo Wild Wings big game giveaway. We do. Uh, sorry. That would be Waylon is now. Uh, you just made the yeah. list. Right. Exactly. Congratulations. So we'll do one more this hour to get you qualified. A couple of texts to get to. Uh, one from the guru who uh, won the number game today, by the way. Happy Monday. I also enjoyed the, the Super Bowl highlights by NFL Films as I'm home recovering from hip replacement surgery last week. Guru, speedy Ooh. recovery, sir. Yeah. And he watched every one. Chiefs Vikings from luxurious Tulane Stadium was a classic with the great slow-mo of the brutal hits and, the, uh, and Stram's dialogue. And also... The use of a phrase that we would not use today. Oh, yeah. 
in mm-hmm. reference to Joe Cap, the Vikings quarterback. Yeah. Who was of Native American descent. Yeah, there was, and it wasn't like once, it was like two or three times they called him. How am I going to say it? Because some people might bug him. Because, and probably shouldn't. <laughs> 1970 was not offensive back then. Well, to yeah, to Caucasian Americans, it was to Native Americans. They they were not down with it at all. They they were not cool with it in 1970, and they sure in the heck are not cool with it now in 2024. But it was somewhat like said socially was, socially acceptable for that period of time. It was more acceptable. I don't know if it was less offensive. Offensive. We're just. It was way more acceptable to be offensive then. Yeah. Was it Joe Cap, the guy that got into the fight with the other CFL Hall of Famer? They had like a CFL maybe reunion that's your thing. Area there. Yeah, I, I'll have to look that up. I gotta look maybe. that up and see. It'd be fun though. We need more fights at Hall of Fame. You know, yeah. what's Brendan Shanahan doing? Actually, he's trying to stop fighting. Yeah, I believe that is the case. Yes. Yeah. I, What's Chris Draper doing? He's not a Hall of Famer. I guess, I mean, I'm pretty sure that was Joe Cap that got into it with the other Canadian Football League Hall of Famer. They had, like, a little little dust up. Oh, yeah. Joe Cap and Angelo Mosca started fighting. In 2011, a 48-year-old grudge, according to ProWrestlingStories.com. <laughs> About a Canadian Football League yeah. rivalry? Hmm, that's interesting. That it was a fight over the 1963 Grey Cup. Joe Cap says he was acting in self-defense. Apparently, the fight's on YouTube. I remember watching it, yes. These tall mm-hmm. senior citizens going at it, man. They were going at it. They were swinging, too. It looks like. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Joe Cap was not uh, pulling any punches there, nor was the other guy. See, I figured he would have went with the suit jacket over the head and just pop, pop, pop. Yeah, like, exactly. They, apparently, they don't hockey fight in the CFL. Let's see. This is uh, one out of the microwave from Friday from Rolando, who um, said, fantastic day. Coach Ross, I'm trying to get this to load up. Coach Ross was the defensive coordinator at Mesa when, when Rolando was briefly on the football team. And then Rolando played basketball at Mesa, and, and Clarence was the athletic director oh, at Mesa during that nice. time. So very cool. Very good. Question about the CFL fight. Is it a standing eight count since they only play three downs? <laughs> sure. You have to convert it to Canadian. Yeah, you got to, you know. It gets fair. Uh, Fruita boys at 20 and zero is amazing, but don't, don't underestimate the girls who are 16 and two and also undefeated in league. Mm, don't think we're underestimating them at all. They've had a sensational season. They've now won eight in a row. Ended Central's eight-game mm. winning streak. I think what was missed in the context is we were talking about a team potentially going undefeated, undefeated the entire season. Yeah, running running the table in the regular yeah. season, which with three games left. Be, no offense. Yeah. A great yeah. season, 16-2, and two, but that kind of removes them from that consideration. Right, of, of going and finishing 23-0. and 0. Yeah. To go into the postseason. 21 and 2, not bad. 
That'd be pretty good. That'd be pretty good. Pretty be really good. All right, 908. And uh, last week we had uh, Chassa Commissioner Mike Kruger with us. We Mike, did. We covered a, a variety of different uh, mm-hmm. topics, one of which has a direct impact to how things are dealt with here on the Western Slope when it comes to Chassa. What Mike is hoping is going to be a pilot program that turns into a really big asset for both the Western Slope, for schools here, and also for Chassa as well. Here's our conversation with Cuthbert High School Activities Commissioner Mike Kruger. He's the commissioner of the Cuthbert High School Activities Association, our friend Mike Kruger. Hello, Mike. How you doing? Jim Rio, good morning, guys. It's always good to join you. Happy Thursday. Uh, happy Thursday to you as well, Mike. Before we talk about some of these other things, like the vote on the shot clock and the mm-hmm. change in the, the fee scale, if you will, or the way the, the fees are, are uh, dealt yep. with in terms of the playoffs, uh, I know you had some big news. You texted me about this and asked to, to come yeah. on, and always great to have you come on. Uh, there's something that's going to have an impact on the Western Slope in a very positive way, and that's uh, Assistant Commissioner Michael Book. He's going to be on the Western Slope. Now, he's from Steamboat originally, correct? Right, yep, and he still has family that lives in, his son lives in Gunnison, and, uh, you know, Mike spent a lot of years in, in Gunnison uh, with his professional career. So, yeah, he is very, very familiar with uh, and grew, you know, with the Western Slope and has spent a lot of time over there uh, during his professional career. So he's, he's very excited to be going back home to the West Slope. So this is a pilot program where, where Mike is going to act as basically a voice for Chassa to, to, to work with schools on the Western Slope. So there's an actual person that will, will deal with this part of the state and a, a guy that obviously knows this part of the state very, very well. Yeah, I, I mean, it, we, it was something we've been talking about for a, a number of years. I thought about it years ago when I was uh, at Palisade. And, uh, you know, it's just it's, it's a kind of a, a big switch for us. We've never done that. But, um, you know, the, the Mike approached me last spring, earlier last year, and said, um, you know, I'm thinking, um, and when I retire, I'm going to move over to the Western Slope. And, and we were just having a conversation, and, and it just kind of morphed into, what if what if that happened earlier? And um, it's something we've been, you know, I know personally I've been toying with, and but we wanted to, uh, it is a fundamental change. And, and as I brought it, uh, the idea after thinking about it for a while, and um, you know, talking to Mike, and then I brought it to uh, the staff, and especially Monica, his assistant. And you know, we talked through it uh, for about six months and said, what could that look like? What would it entail? And we thought the the uh, right decision here was uh, and give us an opportunity to, as you mentioned, pilot it, see how it does, see if it's uh, effective. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that it would be beneficial to have someone uh, over on the West Slope that can uh, be, you know not readily accessible, but can get to events and, and feel, you know, and be a liaison in that sense. Uh, but certainly we're going to learn from it. We're going to see, you know, how it works. But, uh, you know, I'm really excited about it. And I think, you know, if it, if it is very successful, we, you know, at least that opens the ideas that, you know, if that would be effective in other parts of the state if we ever wanted to go that route. So lots to learn uh, through this, but we're really excited. And I think it's going to be incredibly beneficial uh, to the schools, the 58 schools that we have on the West Slope. Chassis Commissioner Mike Kruger with us today on the Team Sports Network. So will, will Mike work out of Steamboat? How is that going to work? Of where, where will he be based out of? Yeah, he's actually going to be based out of Grand Junction. Okay. Um, and we are working with uh, Mace County Valley School District 51 and Paul Kane uh, to see if there's some uh, space we could find Mike there. Um, you know, we do want him to have an office 
and uh, we want him to have a place that uh, you know he can work out of. So uh, Paul has been great. Mace County Valley School District's been great, but we felt that Grand Junction is centrally located. Uh, you know, when you think about going south of, of GJ, or you think of going north from GJ and from Steamboat to Ignacio and North Park to Dove Creek, uh, you know, GJ's kind of fall. Grand Junction falls right in the middle there. So it's, it's a good home base for him. And so he is uh, looking in that area. And so I, he is going to be based out of GJ. So how soon will Mike Book start working as essentially kind of a Western Slope commissioner working for you out of here? When when does that start, Mike? Yeah, um, it's going to start sometime this uh, probably late spring, um, early summer. Uh, you know, a part of it has to do with um, housing for Mike. Uh, we're really ready to go at any time. We've been talking about this internally for a while, and the board of directors uh, has known about it and has really been incredibly supportive. Uh, you know, we have Heidi Vorringer from Montrose and Ty Gray from Dove Creek uh, on our board, and along with uh, a number of board members that have ties to the Western Slope. And, and But our board as a, as a whole was very supportive. And um, so we, we think that any time um, this spring, it, it'll depend on when Mike can find housing and as soon as we can get the office space set up. But I wouldn't be surprised if it happened any time from April to June. So. All right. Yeah, well, I think, it's a, I think it's a great idea to have somebody, a voice for Chassa, that's on this side of the hill that can, if there's something that needs to be addressed in, in Durango or, or Montrose or mm-hmm. here or, or Craig, that there's that, that person that can go and, and represent Chass and, and deal with some of the, the, the issues that uh, impact high schools and have that, that face and that voice with Mike Book uh, representing, uh, of course, you, Mike, and, and the folks over in Denver. We're talking with uh, Mike Kruger, the uh, commissioner of the Colorado High School Activities Association. The uh, Legislative Council voted on a few things. Uh, you're talking about local people. We had Paul Kane on uh, yesterday to talk about this. Uh, Paul's the Tournament and Playoff Finance Committee chairperson. And uh, it's, a, it's a change in how playoff, I, I guess, monies are, are, are utilized, where uh, host schools in the past paid a percentage of their playoff gate revenue to Chassa and then also a portion to help reimburse visiting teams for traveling. But uh, the new... Uh, the new amendment passed pretty good uh, margin 56 to 14 that each member school will pay an annual fee for chassa based on what that school's basketball classification is and so they'll be able to keep profits from playoff games so this is a it's an important change it changes a structure that uh, you know has been been looked at and criticized off and on over the years yeah, no doubt, and I have no doubt Paul did a great job of explaining it way better than I can, but uh, I was lucky enough to sit in on those meetings that Paul was leading and our director of finance, Sarah Vernon Bruner, was leading, and uh, just, uh, you know, just to to listen to the process, and I'll tell you, you know, you know Paul very well, Jim, and most of your listeners do. He's, he's an incredible leader. He is just a great mind for that, especially when it comes to finances, and, um, you know, Paul's leadership really led you know he he really led us through this and and with that being said i think you're right it is something that i know even back to the days when i was an ad and a district ad um it was a process that was constantly being brought up is can we look at this can we do something different with it and it's tedious there's a lot of work that goes into filing every school filing forms for every postseason event that they host getting reimbursements to the other school and um, and the formulas, figuring out, you know, because the host school still keeps some money, but the other money goes back to the visiting school, and 
then part of those proceeds coming to our operating expenses as an organization. And so uh, Paul did a great job of leading us through that process and looking at data and comparing data from years in the past and what that means for Chassa. And, you know, it's really not going to impact our organization because Paul and the team used uh, averages over the last five to seven years. And, and so it really doesn't affect us. It really truly is a procedural and process change. And I think the best way to look at it is um, it's, you know, it's, we are a benefit sharing organization. Every, every 365, 367 of our schools benefit from the, the programs that we, we host, you know, and that we promote. So music, student leadership, uh, including our athletic programs, eSports, the whole nine yards. And, uh, but that with that comes cost sharing. So it hasn't been as much of a cost sharing approach. Um, which is going to impact some of our schools differently, and we're looking to see how that impact's going to help them or how it's going to affect them. That could be positive. It could be in some years, you know, a little bit of a downturn, but we, we definitely are trying to listen to and look at what those impacts might be. But what I am comfortable in saying is this is much more of a membership-focused approach uh, when it comes to tournament and playoff finance, and I know for sure for a fact that our host schools um, are definitely going to benefit in the sense that they will be keeping more of the money that they bring in. And then after certain net proceeds, there will be a cost, a percentage that goes back to the visiting team. So we, uh, I know Paul and the group really tried to cover all their bases with that, and I think they did a great job. And I know also that we're going to have to pay attention to what some of these impacts are for our schools that don't don't make it to the playoffs as much uh, historically, but we there are definitely other pieces of this that are going to uh, we can find that will benefit all of our schools so i'm really proud of the work that they did yeah the the two districts that really opposed it denver public schools or public schools and and part of their mike part of what and paul and i talked about this a little bit and and, and paul relayed some of this information to us was their concern that they don't have teams make the playoffs often enough there's already the the annual membership dues the the fee per each sport activity and then you'll have this uh, this this fee also that goes on on top of that that they feel like well we don't have teams that make the playoffs so this seems like an unfair thing yeah. for us to have to pay which I, I find that I find that curious that that you I don't know if I'm a coach in one of those two uh, those two districts I feel like well you don't feel like the work we have teams capable of competing and, and making the playoffs and I get it historically there's you know those some of those numbers back up what they're saying but it just seems like an odd thing to. To, to bring up that, well, we don't have teams that are competitive, are going to be playoff teams, so why should we have to pay this? Well, um, you know, I, I have some experience from being at APS, and I know yeah. I've worked, I sat down and talked with Kevin Benji and, and Casey Powell, the district ADs from both of those districts prior to, prior to Tuesday, and I think some of it, too, I, I definitely understand their concerns, and I agree, you know, I think all of our schools, we hope that there's a, a uh, hopeful desire that we all can partake in the in the postseason, and we can look at some of those things too in terms of our playoff formats and and make sure how we can help. Uh, but a, a point I, I want to make on that too is, uh, with the current system, it's not very desirable to host some of these regional events because it does cost you quite a. It can cost thousands of dollars, and you're you've either earned the right to host those, or you know there's a number of those regional events we're looking for schools to host. And we I just felt like you know and and kudos again to Paul and the and the team, but you know. Should we have a system where it costs you or it's, it's a penalty to deserve to host those games? And, and now it should encourage our schools. Like, you know, I hope that uh, DPS, APS, all of our, you know, the Mace County schools, everybody is, has a stronger desire to step in and say, hey, I'll host this wrestling regional 
because it's not going to end up costing me thousands of dollars. I can now make money, you know, and, and I benefit from hosting and I can pay my workers, pay the security upgrades, pay the facility fees, and hopefully at the same time give some money back to the visiting schools. The thing that is, uh, you know, uh, the, that we heard from a number of our schools too is, you know, it's nice, you know, you can budget for a fee where you can say, here's what we're going to send to our membership organization, but after that, um, we keep everything and, and we keep, you know, all the money that's coming in and it can help offset those costs. And that, that to me seemed like uh, I'd like I think it's, it is a different fundamental approach, but I think it is membership focused. And we will certainly work with all of our schools, not just uh, APS and DPS, to address some of those impacts. And I know Paul and, and the group will continue to evaluate those impacts and we'll see where we can continue to support and keep money in our schools. And just for transparency for the, the people that are listening, what, what this is going to cost as far as the, this, the, the playoff fee, if you will, uh, 1A schools, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, Mike, this comes from the Denver Post. Uh, 1A schools will pay $600 on top of the membership fee and the, the per sport fee. 2A is $800, 3A is 1000 4A is $1,400, 5A is $1,900, and 6A is $2,600. That's, those are all correct, okay. yeah. So, and if that's a one-time annual fee. So a 1A school, you know, pays uh, $600, and that's it for the year. And then any money they make after that or at 2A school, they say, you know, 800 they, they keep everything after that. So no additional monies come into the, to the membership organization. It, so. it just seems like it is a real, a real positive change in regard to schools being able to, to, to make money. And Paul talked about, you know, time sending money over to Chass in the past for after football playoff games and, and big chunk of change that, that yep. left district 51 and now, and, and other school districts have had to deal with that as well. So I think it's been, a, it's yep. a really positive change. Uh, what they approved uh, yesterday with, or the other day with the legislative council, Mike Kruger, Chassis commissioner with us today. And then Mike, we'll wrap it up with the, the vote by the legislative council on the shot clock. Uh, there was some negotiating and things, you know, that, that went on there. But ultimately, the Legislative Council voted against the shot clock uh, when we had Paul on with us. He said, yeah, it's, it's dead for now, but kind of like kind of like Jason or, no offense, Freddy Krueger. Uh, that, uh, coming back. That, uh, oh, that it, it, he, he doesn't, he thinks it'll, it, it'll probably come back at some point. I, I anticipate that, yes, uh, as well. I, I think the neat thing you said, there was some really good debate on it, which I, I absolutely love. Um, you know, we sometimes in the, in the past few years, you know, we'd come to Legislative Council and everybody kind of knew how they are going to vote on something, and there wasn't a lot of debate where years ago we did used to have quite a bit of debate on things, and I think it's a good, I think it's good because it means we're probably doing a good job of communicating things out, and leagues and our member schools know where, where they fall on things, but I really enjoyed the debate. I really liked the fact that uh, there was a little, there was contentious discussion, you know, and said, hey, I, that's the way our membership works, right? That's, we're a membership-driven organization. Um, we don't get to make all these policies over here and i'd love to and sometimes but our membership makes these policies our membership makes the bylaws and creates the legislation and the shot clock's no different and um i do think paul is exactly right though i think there was uh parts of the shot clock proposal that there was some some feeling that maybe we'd like a couple of things changed uh, a couple to look at things a couple of ways uh differently in terms of the implementation i anticipate that we will probably see something as early as april uh, this April at Legislative Council, at least another proposal, and we'll see where the membership is with it at that time. But, um, you know, I really felt like it was the membership working, and, um, you know, and it was not, you couldn't really point out, it wasn't a specific, like, you know, all the West Slope schools.
schools voted one way or all the small schools voted one way. That was spread out through the membership. So um, I think that those proponents of the shot clock have a little bit of work to do to find out what the areas that were causing uh, concern. And if they want to bring it back and see if we can get the membership behind it, then uh, we'll do that. But I really thought it was very evidenced of the fact that we're a membership-driven organization and the membership just wasn't ready uh, Tuesday or right now to implement the shot clock the way it was being proposed. So. When Paul joined us yesterday, we, we, we talked about this, and I said, are we, are we trying to address a problem that doesn't really exist? And yeah. Paul, I think, tends to feel that way, that it's, it's yeah. not it, – it, teams are not holding the ball four-corner for, for three minutes and things like that on any kind of regular basis. I know you and I, when we saw each other recently, um, I don't know if I – should share this but you you seem to kind of echo you know you did a you know the old basketball coach that you are you did a little scouting you went to some games and and charted some yep. possessions and and mike you you know you tend to feel that that maybe there is this isn't really a problem that needs to be solved well i think i look at it a little bit more like is it what's the impact going to be and so last year during the state basketball tournament you know i did spend a couple games and you're at you know the old basketball coach in me but i charted the number of possessions that actually went over 30 seconds not even 35 and they were very limited if if any in in a, you know less than i'd say in some games less than 5 possessions uh and in some games almost none that went over 30 seconds in the state of the you know state of play these days isn't like the days when you're talking to a, a guy that used to run the Princeton offense and slow it down because we couldn't, comp- uh, you know, we, we were always running up against those big guys from Junction and Fruta and Central. So um, we, we use that as a strategy, you know, to try to keep the game close. But, um, you know, my feeling is not, so I don't necessarily have super strong feelings one way or another on the implementation. I just feel like what I do want to ask, you know, what is the impact going to be on the game? And I think there are scenarios where we've seen a game here or there where somebody pulls it out and and goes four corners to try to slow the game down, especially toward the end of the half or end of the game. Um, And that's a strategy that can be employed. As far as a huge impact on the game itself, I'm I'm not quite in that uh, boat yet to think that it's going to be so impactful that uh, we, we know it, it's going to have these great impacts and it's going to make a huge difference. But at the same time, I know there's a strong component that says this is where the game is today. And, and you know, Colorado is one of the uh, starting to become one of the few states that doesn't have it. And there's some big reasons why, why they do want to adopt it. So I think it's a matter of looking at it from impact. And then when you're a school that maybe is, you know, you operating on tighter budgets, um, you have to weigh that into the what's the benefit and what is the impact as opposed to what it's going to cost us. And I think that's where the state got a little, uh, you know, the membership got a little bit of pushback was uh, thinking about that. Is it worth, uh, you know, this, the, the cost that it's going to uh, be to, to put it in our gyms. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where we go from here and where the membership goes on it. And I, but I expect we'll be talking about it. And many people were made comments a little bit, you know, saying, oh, great, we get to talk about shot clock for the next four months again. But um, I think that's a good thing. We, the membership's voice uh, always drives the ship. So we're excited about that. All right. Chas, Commissioner Mike Kruger joined us last week on the Jim Davis Show. Always appreciate catching up with uh, with Mike and the latest on Chassa. All right, uh, 927, we'll take a break. We'll come back, some four-down territory in this day in sports history. That's on the way next. But uh, before we do that, we should get our final qualifier for today. Oh, yeah. For a Buffalo Wild Wings big game giveaway. All right, so we'll take the fifth texter. Please put your first name, your last name, and B-dubs on your text. And once again, you get qualified. We'll pick the winner coming up Thursday morning to start out the show. And it's a table for six at Buffalo Wild Wings along with 50 wings 
for Sunday's big game, which you can hear right here on the team. Coverage starts at noon between the 49ers and the Chiefs. So uh, fifth texter right now, and if you've already qualified, you can only qualify once, so mm-hmm. keep that in mind. So if you're already qualified, uh, don't uh, text in. But otherwise, text yeah. in right now on the team line, 970-242-1340. They need a wake-up call. Call or text the Jim Davis Show on the Chick-fil-A team line, 970-242-1340. Welcome back, 930. Jim along with the Buckeye boy. It's Monday, the good, the bad, the ugly. Send it our way on the team line, 970-242-1340. Also, uh, you can uh, text in for a Buffalo Wild Wings big game giveaway. Table for six and 50 wings for uh, the big game out at Buffalo Wild Wings coming up this Sunday. So still have time to text in for that. All right, let's hop into four down territory. We're into four down territory on the Jim Davis Show on the team. All right, start things out with first down. Bill Belichick takes out a full page ad in the Boston Globe to print a thank you message mm-hmm. with a uh, quote in it. You may have even you may have you may even have enjoyed my fashion sense and press conferences, or maybe you just tolerated them. I'll check a little sense of humor there. A little bit, yeah. It's pretty good. I do do find it ironic that one of the oldest coaches in the NFL uses the dying medium of the newspaper to say goodbye. That is pretty much right up his alley. Well, there were some thoughts about stone stone tablets, perhaps, but it seemed like... Couldn't pap- find the, his chisel and hammer. To, to build the newspaper, it's mm-hmm. it's the new thing the kids are really into. So yeah. he thought he would put it out in the, the Boston Globe. But yeah, it's pretty, I think that's pretty funny about the fashion since the press conferences. Okay, second down. This is connected. Bill Belichick to his buddy Nick Saban. Oh, okay. Because... The two Kirk- co-hosts of the Grump cast, right? Exactly. So, um... Kirby Smart, of course, his history with Saban goes back a ways. That um, some of you, now that Saban's retired, some of his former assistants, including Kirby Smart, recently talked to uh, ESPN's Chris Lowe and Harry Styles, Harry Lyles Jr., not Harry Styles, Harry Lyles Jr. Maybe Harry Styles is there. I don't know. But anyway, about some of their best memories involving Nick Saban. And Smart talked about his first ever interview with Saban uh, during Saban's, like, final you know year or so at LSU before and uh, before he went on of course to to coach it with the Dolphins and then went to go to Alabama but Smart was a grad assistant of Florida State he was in an interview for the position of LSU defensive backs coach in early 2004 so he got on Saban's radar thanks to a recommendation from LSU's then defensive coordinator Will Muschamp who's also a friend of Kirby Smart's so uh, Lance Thompson, who was a departing LSU staff member at that time, told Smart in passing before the interview, working for Nick is like dog years. Every year feels like seven. Well, unfortunately for Kirby Smart, he wasn't very smart as a young coach because they had a um, now the interview at Saban's house during Super Bowl Sunday. He says, I was comfortable and feeling good about the way it was, was going. And I just say, I don't get it. People say working here is like dog years. I don't know why in the hell they would say that. Just dumb. Think about it. Why would you even say something like that to an employer you're trying to get a job with? Yeah, that's also dumb. 
But I did. I guess I wasn't overwhelmed or intimidated. I was too young to know any better. Fortunately, um, it didn't hurt. Yeah. Kirby Smart. Thankfully, he's earned his name back because he could very well be Kirby Stupid for a long (laughs) time. Kirby Moron. Yeah. Kirby Doofus. Once again, today, if you don't know what you're talking about, or don't, don't, if you don't know what you're talking about, or you shouldn't, you should not uh, tell people things that they don't need to hear, Mm -hmm. or if you don't have your facts straight, you need to be quiet. In the age of Twitter, you don't have to say everything all the time. No, you don't. You are perfectly fine keeping some stuff to yourself. Yeah. And that's that's probably one of them. Uh, Grammys were last night. Don't know if you watched. I didn't watch I a ton. I did not. Trevor Noah was the host. And your mileage with Trevor Noah may vary, but he did, uh, I think, do a funny bit. Talking about how it's not Taylor Swift's fault the cameras are cutting to her at games. To just let her live her life. But he's going to give her a break. Every time he said he was going to reference Taylor Swift, he'd cut to somebody that played football. And they would cut to Terry Crews. I thought that was pretty That's fun. pretty good. It's pretty good work. Uh, and then uh, speaking of former football players, former NFL player Carl Weathers has passed away. Passed away Thursday. News broke into the day on Friday that uh, he had passed away. He's in a Super Bowl campaign right now with uh, FanDuel, I believe. Yes, FanDuel and Rob Gronkowski, the kick of destiny too. Carl Weathers is in some of those commercials. And he was uh, on The Mandalorian as well. Mm-hmm. And so FanDuel says they're altering or adjusting their Super Bowl 58 campaign. They don't say what exactly they're going to do. But, uh, yes, Chubbs. Um, oh, Apollo uh, Action, Creed. Action Jackson, Apollo Creed. Um, and, oh, what did, what was he in Predator? I can't remember the name of it. He was not that Arnold was Dutch. I can't remember who he was in Predator. But he was in Predator. So, yes, Carl Weathers, unfortunately, passing away. And uh, so his Super Bowl ad featuring old Lando is going to be adjusted, according to FanDuel. I'm 76. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in Arrested Development as the acting coach. Remember That's that? That's right. Yep. Uh, did Combat Carl in Toy Story 4, did the voice for that character. Mm-hmm. And uh, played for the Raiders as well. Played in the Canadian Football League, too. Yeah. But uh, we can forget him, though, as Apollo Creed or Chubbs. Was Dylan. He was Dylan in uh, Predator. And as Chubbs, he was he was a star on the tour. Yeah. Before he lost his hand in the alligator attack. That was a great role. He was hilarious. Was that. Fantastic. Of course, Apollo Creed goes from Rocky villain to Rocky's best buddy. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Rocky has to go avenge his friend's death. Yeah. Sylvester when, Stallone when, broken up pretty bad. Yeah. Saw video. You looked pretty shaken up. Yeah. But uh, Carl Weathers, super talented guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, funny, fun, yeah, funny, funny guy uh, when he was in those roles and could do the dramatic stuff, obviously, really, really well. All right, 937, and it's time for this day in sports history. That's the story of the greatest sport moment in all of history. It's time to take a trip back in time. It's this day in sports history. All right, go back to 1919. Charged against Cincinnati's Hal Chase of throwing games and betting against his team are dismissed 
by National League President John Heidler. Two weeks later, Chase is traded to the Giants. On this day, 1948, after landing the first double axle in Olympic competition, Dick Button becomes the first American to win Olympic gold in figure skating. Gretchen Frazier becomes the first U.S. women Olympic slalom champion in 1948. 1960, Bill Russell grabs 51 rebounds in the Boston Celtics 124-100 win over the Syracuse Nationals. Russell's the first player in NBA history to pull in 50 or more rebounds. Did you just box the guy out? Kidding. Barely. Bill Russell. Few guys had better instincts and, and, yeah. and knowing the trajectory of shots and how the ball was going to come off the rim. Big geometry guy, Bill yeah, Russell. Bill Russell. An incredible, incredible human being and humanitarian and super good guy and talented human being as well. Real tall. Real tall. Uh, it's 1972. Bob Douglas is the first black elect of the Basketball Hall of Fame, known as the father of black professional baseball. Douglas owned and coached the New York Renaissance from 1922 to 1949. Also on this day, 1990, Notre Dame bucks the College Football Association, becomes the first college to sell its home games to a major network, agreeing to a five-year deal with NBC beginning in 1991, a deal that continues until this day. And then 2003, Bob Knight wins his 800th game, becoming the fourth Division I men's coach to reach the mark in guiding Texas Tech past Nebraska 75 241. He nearly had a double double, too. It was two chokes and one chair shot. It's just so close. So close. So Man. close. Could have been what a milestone day. What a trip had, or push had counted? I don't know. Yeah, he only had five, though. I yeah. Mean, so it's, it's true. He's well down the ways there. 2005, Steve Young and Dan Marino are elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Senior committee nominees are Benny Friedman and Fritz Pollard. They're also elected as well. Steve Young can't even go into the Hall of Fame by himself. <laughs> He's got to have Dan Marino go with him. It's Come like, on, buddy. I'll backs up Joe Montana for oh. how many years of his prime? And then I'm into the Hall of Fame. Oh, here's Dan Marino. Oh, oh come on. Oh. You kind of have to wonder what would have happened for Steve Young if he wouldn't have went to the, ex- the USFL, if he wouldn't have want- gone to the Buccaneers and they weren't very good. Of what that would have looked like if he could have gone to a team where he could have played and started. So they would have believed in his skill set. Mm-hmm. That he was more than just a, a mobile quarterback. Niners eventually, obviously, bought into that. When he replaced Joe Montana. But that's a career that... It's it's hard to knock Young, though, for passing on the money from the USFL to play right. for the Express. Because it was... And for that time, an astronomical amount of money, which I don't think he ever got all of it, if memory serves me correctly. Probably not. It does feel like you think of Steve Young and you're like, dang, he was really good. But, man, what could have been? Like, three-time All-Pro, three-time Super Bowl champ, two-time MVP, Super Bowl MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, twice, depending on the the publication. And there's still a lot of, man, what could have been? He led the NFL in completion percentage for four straight seasons. Ah, oh, what could have been? Oh, like, dang. Very good, but he, the career could have been longer, It though. could have been longer. It could have been, you know, way more productive. He, he was the caddy to Joe Montana. Mm-hmm. 
By the way, when he signed with the Express, it was a 10-year, $40 million deal. He agreed to take his payment in the form of an annual pad over 43 years to help him out. Didn't get all of his money. Uh, had his contract set up as an annuity, but the, the league filed for bankruptcy. He got $4 million up front and a base salary of $200,000. First year, two eighty, three thirty, and 400000 over the four-year duration of his contract. And once the contract expired, he had no more obligations to the team. But L.A. was expected to pay him the final $30 million over 37 years uh, from when Young turned 28 until he turned 65. Which he's still not at yet, by the way. Right. He's 62, but he's probably not getting any money from the USFL. Going to reports, $4.8 million from his USFL contract is what he got paid of the $40 million that he was supposed to get. And Bobby Bonilla continues laughing to the bank exactly. every July 1st. Like, ah! That's because uh, Major League Baseball got a little They're more solid right. foundation yeah. financially. USFL back then did not. Nope. All right, 943. The Rock should pay him that money now. Stop ruining WrestleMania for everybody and pay Steve Young his money. Are you going to talk about that in garbage time? Yeah, I'm going to do that. But okay. Yeah. Pay that man his money. But who? Who's going to pay him that now? The Rock. Well, no, The Rock he owns, owns the, the USFL. No, he owns the XFL. They're it, partners. It's now the United Football League. Don't they take on their debts? No, because it's an entirely Shouldn't one of the Murdochs then. Something. It's an entirely different entity. Oh. Sorry, man. I know for Steve Young, I wish. Yeah. Wish he was going to get it the rest of his forty mil. But uh, no, it's not going to happen. Poor guy. Yeah. Pay that man his money. Pay that man his money. I think uh, Steve Young's made out okay. Yeah, he's probably doing okay. I think he's doing okay. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back with some garbage time. That's on the way next. You can still uh, text in this morning. The good, the bad, the ugly, 970-242-1340. It's a good show. By the best show around. The Jim Davis Show on Colorado sports leader, the team. Jim along with the Buckeye boy today and David Coverdale. Yes, making an appearance. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for stopping by. Sorry they didn't win a Grammy last night. Oh, that's right. They didn't get nominated for a Grammy last night. White Snake. I know. I I know. I know. See the thing where he wants to bring back white old White Snake members for a farewell album? I had not heard that. That'd be cool though. That'd be pretty neat. I don't know how many guys that would include. That's a lot. Probably 20 or 30 guys. It's like Deep Purple-ish. I wonder like where he got that idea. Mickey Moody that was guitarist. Mm-hmm. He passed away. But yeah, they... Yeah, he's probably not going to be. Yeah. But yeah, they could... That'd be kind of cool if they did that. Yeah. Nice One, little two, farewell. Three, four, five, six, there's a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys. 10, 11, 40, 50, 60, 70. It's like 35 guys. Yeah, Vivian Campbell was in White Snake. So was uh, Steve Vai, Rudy Sarzo. Yeah. Rudy Sarzo was in White Snake about five minutes longer than I was, though. <laughs> yeah, it was not a long tour of duty. Uh-uh. And then some Ian of the guys Pace. from and some of the guys from Deep Purple, yeah, like mm-hmm. Ian Pace, because he was the front man at one point. Yeah. it was of of Deep Purple. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Hopefully, they they do that. 
Don't know if we get nominated for a Grammy, but hey, you never know. No. All right, let's uh, open up, the, open up the lid and hop in. It's garbage time. We're taking out the trash. It's garbage time on the Jim Davis Show on the team. What's got to make you happy makes me happy as well mm-hmm. with the Grammys last night. Uh, Metallica. Yeah. 72 seasons. Best metal performance. Yeah, Spearbuck fans are hot, though. Yeah. They're they're not happy because it's like the Taylor Swift thing because apparently it's Metallica's fault. The Grammys awarded them with a Grammy. Don't, don't hate the winner, okay? Yeah. Hate the process if you want to, but don't hate the winner. They're out there blocking Metallica. It's like, oh, you showed them. Some guy with nine followers. So I blocked Metallica. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm sure James Hetfield's like, oh, yeah. I drew, that just that ruined winning a yeah. Grammy for us. Spearbox so. fans leaving tons of empty seats at the next Metallica <laughs> ninety thousand seat concert. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, uh, I was I was pretty pretty pumped. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So also was glad to see was what best country duet. Zach Bryan and Casey Musgraves. I remember everything. Great song mm. from them, by the way. So we they go did, from uh, one end of yeah. the genre to the other. Uh, Luke Combs, Tracy Chapman did Fast Car last night very at the cool. Grammys. Watch that on YouTube. That's pretty awesome. Very cool. Billy Joel's got a new song out. It's not very good, but I, he's got was, a new song out. Yeah, listen to it the other day. It's what, 17 years? Yeah. Since he's written anything? Okay. Turn the lights back yeah. on. It's Billy Joel. Like, yeah. it's all right. Yeah. He's not had anything great since the 80s, but then again, I would say that about a lot of bands or people. Like, okay. Welcome back, Bill. Yeah. Welcome back. Turn the lights back on because I got to pay the bill. <laughs> That's why we got a new song. No, he's doing okay tours and oh, yeah, he does. play stadiums. Yeah, I mean, he's doing a, fine. I would look into some of those ticket prices. Billy yeah, Joel's not. I don't, I don't think he needed to write a new song because, yeah. you know, attendance is down at concerts and he's scuffling these right. days. He's not packing everything into a Ford Transit. He's no, fine. no. He very he's not, least, he's Mercedes not doing a Taco Bell man. ad like uh, Portugal the Man. Talking about that's where they had to, they had to go eat at Taco Bell when they were out on the road when they were a young struggling band. Yeah, it just seemed like a band that would never do commercials. That's why never say never, right? And especially a Taco Bell commercial, right? Like a Chipotle commercial, sure. But no, they're yeah, the Taco Bell commercial. Because I'm sitting there watching, it's like, wait a minute, that's Portugal the Man. Mm-hmm. Pimping Taco Bell. Yeah. Hmm. I would have never thought that. There's sometimes I'll see an athlete commercial. Like, Who the hell is that? Is it Devontae Adams? Is he the dude in Taco Bell? Yes, ads? he has the Taco Bell yeah. in his house. Yeah. Yeah. Clever ad probably needs somebody <laughs> more recognizable. Apparently they think he's recognizable enough. Apparently. So the rock is. Rock's pissing people off. Okay. What's he done now? Well, so in the wake of the whole Vince McMahon thing which is gross. The Rock was appointed to the board of TKO, the Endeavor Project with USC and WWE. Well, now Rock is also, if you listen to reports of people in the know, put himself in the main event as WrestleMania. There's a storyline going on. It's about five years long now. Roman Reigns, who's The Rock's cousin-ish, something. I don't know. It's Samoan family tree. It's really something like that, yeah. He's held the belt for close to 1,000 days, maybe more, maybe close to 1,300. And it's been building up this story with Cody Rhodes for two years now since Cody's come back to the WWE. Now The Rock is going to insert himself into the main event and take Cody Rhodes' spot against Roman Reigns 
And also reports are Rocky is politicking to win the match and pay off this long-term story that they've been telling for close to five years with a guy who's not been there except for the last three months. Okay. Perfect. And maybe the guy that's in charge of creative got either told this was happening or didn't know in the first place. Hmm. Yeah. A lot of fun. It's been it's been an interesting what do you mean? week there's, and a half. There's drama. There's oh, actual yeah. drama uh, in the WWE. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you know? Yep. Rock looking out for rock. It's usually how it works. Well, it's just it's a mess for like those in the know. Well, like said, maybe he has to pay out the Steve Young. For maybe, million. yeah. Maybe that's the reason why. Maybe he actually is on the hook for that. But it is, it has been a total poop show the last week and a half now. Started with Vince McMahon and that lawsuit. And, ooh, brother. Brother. He's going down hard at some point. The guy that's accused with him is like, I'm a victim too. It's like, shut up. Shut up, James Laurinaitis' uncle. All right, this is this is just me because it's yep. a sport that I really love. And so bear with me, okay? Mm-hmm. We, we, we did sel- wrestling. We're good. We seldom talk about this. Yep. But there was the Detroit Supercross this past weekend, Ford Field, where for the first time in the history of the legendary British Triumph motorcycle brand, they had a dirt bike competing at a supercross. They've never they've never had never made a dirt bike. They've always been a street bike company. Mm-hmm. Not too bad. First time out of the gate. Uh Jalex Sowell finished sixth on a triumph in the 250 class. Their first run it never been they rolled it out there and finished sixth. Not nice. too bad. And they're, and they're sweet looking bikes too. And I just, that stuff is something I get geeked up about. I mean, that's a, that's yeah. a brand that if you lo- love street bikes, you know it very, very well. But they've never been known for, they've never made dirt bikes, really. You know, some scrambler kind of adventure mm-hmm. type bikes, but not a full-on dirt bike. Well, first time out of the gate, not too bad. Great. Turns out, place, know what they're doing. Six-plate finish. Yeah, there we go. And there's uh, a nugget of something for you from wrestling and Supercross today yeah. from our show. Back with you tomorrow morning at 7.